Thank you for joining us today on this episode of MSP 1337, a podcast dedicated to helping MSPs and their clients navigate cybersecurity. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, BCIO Toolbox. If you're looking to strengthen your client relationships, improve retention, and shorten long sales cycles, check out VCIO Toolbox, the strategic account management platform that helps MSPs get closer to their clients. To find out more, head over to vciotoolbox.com. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I am joined today by Ian Thornton Trump of Cyjax Limited. Welcome, Ian. Ian just froze on me, so we'll see if he comes back. There he is. Yeah, just a blip as soon as we started recording. Do you want to try the intro again? No, this is a raw conversation, and the the gods that be are saying, no, you can't have this conversation, and we are going to thrive and push through. So, Ian, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me this morning. Thanks. Anything that's got 1337 has my vote of approval. So. All right. So it's awesome. Um, so this is a, a, an interesting one. We've, we've been chatting prior to getting this show going and, and you, you used the phrase, the great America recovery. And I think it's really interesting that that's the phrase you use, you know, calling to me from across the pond, if you will, uh, to be looking at, and it's, this is a global recovery, but we'll, you will, we'll focus a little bit on, on the, the America, if you will. So what, what sort of got stuck in your head where you're like the great America recovery? Why, why that phrase? I, I think it comes from the fact that we had uh, a rapid digital transformation and work from home, happened, sure. which forced a lot of the IT issues that businesses were suffering to the forefront. Okay. The, the ability to say transition to cloud, the infrastructure safe, if I can touch it, feel it, those types of things. Yeah, and at the same time, we saw the threat landscape explode. All types of different cyber criminal fraud. And of course, the headlines talking about advanced persistent threat actors and the infiltration of almost everything. Um, this is a huge opportunity, I think, to have an American financial recovery, um, but also a transformation, a do-over, if you will, of the network sprawl, of the poorly conceived architectural ideas that we've put in place since you know we started building networks back in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s. Sure. I, I, I think that there's so much mid-market opportunity coming towards us um, as basically America begins to uh, come back onto the world stage and to start doing business um, and, and getting out there and fixing those problems. I feel like this is, uh, it reminds me of a meme I saw where it was like a, uh, it was a picture of a rack and it showed all the patch cables just all intertwined. And it said in the, in the event of a cyber attack, break glass and pull cables. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is really what you're talking about, right? Like we, we were so overzealous in going, I'm going to have the bigger, taller, wider, more bandwidth, more whatever, that we didn't focus on how to do that cleanly. We just focused on getting it done and having it work. 
Yeah, and I think the mid-market experience was um, really a challenge to keep those IT systems running uh, week to week, if not you know month to month. MSPs come into this space and they realize that onboarding a new customer that has a horrific um, uh, infrastructure is only going to cost them money uh, to slowly but surely through support tickets remediate that entire network. And I think MSPs grew up pretty quickly and said, um, because of your lack of investment, Mr. Customer, to get you to the work from home, Pansia, to migrate your on-premise to the cloud, to help you choose the right SaaS offerings, um, to guide your business, um, that's going to be an expensive endeavor. And when you're in the midst of a crisis, right? Um, you, you open up the pocketbooks because what happened to a lot of American small businesses is an existential threat of the economic turndown and then of course the work from home. And if your network and your facilities couldn't handle the sudden migration of your employees into lockdown, uh, it became an existential threat to that business. Now, what that was, was an incredible story about resilience and about suddenly creating um, access where there were huge challenges. You know, I know many MSPs uh, immediately started rolling out laptops. Like it was boon times for laptop deployments. Um, but mistakes were made. And those mistakes include things like deployment of remote desktop protocol um, servers, without you know, firewalling them off properly or without putting a multi-factor authentication solution into place. And so what happened was a lot of risk suddenly arrived on the business. And in a lot of cases, the um, folks didn't realize the level of risk that they, had, uh, that they had accumulated as a result of that rapid transformation. Let's let's rewind for a second and then we'll fast forward because I feel like we dropped right into like the middle of some of the things that are really critical to share with the audience. But if we rewind back to say roughly 2014, 2015, where clouds suddenly um, grew up, if you will, it, and maybe grew up growing up is not the right word, but for the SMB space, especially it became affordable. It became in many cases more affordable than even on-prem type stuff, but there was still this hesitation primarily around uh, the security of it because any oh, huge. any any SMB, even mid-market that had infrastructure built out in their offices or in their in the quote data center, um, they felt like that they had a handle on securing it because we were still in this sort of like infancy stage of do we trust that Microsoft, you know, like because Amazon and Google, like they would not do a good job at this, you know, like there's, why is there skepticism at this, this juncture? I, I don't know, because it was definitely premature for them to even consider that that wasn't more secure. Um, but you kind of look at this and go, as we were going down this path of embracing cloud that was here to stay, we heard things in the industry, whether it be from uh, the different, um, you know, survey polls, you name it, they would say, you know, if you're an MSP and in the next three to five years, you haven't migrated your clients to the cloud, you're out of business. Or we heard, but we heard that with break, fix to manage services. We will always hear these things, right? So what's interesting to me is the one thing that was missing, truly missing, was really a security from a security vendor play 
piece, right? So when we talk about firewalls in the data center, we're talking about a physical appliance, right? In my office, we're talking about physical appliance. Well, cloud comes along and how do you physically put your firewall into a virtual space when the firewall is still physical? And I think we talked about this a little bit as we were talking briefly about sort of the SolarWinds Orion thing and what the Orion product was really about and how it was meant to be used. You know, you have an on-prem product that was suddenly being slammed, square peg round hole slammed into, please do this for my cloud ecosystem. Uh, So I I wanted to just kind of frame that up a little bit because I think as we fast forward back to where we, we are talking is that the bigger challenges aren't that we suddenly are working from home. It's not that we're suddenly being put in this pandemic-like ecosystem that's struggling to balance um, the, the wins and the losses because for some MSPs, this was the boon, right? Like this was big growth, opportunities abound. And then some MSPs, it's like, um, we built the whole thing around the restaurant business and we're basically, you know, we're stuck. So yeah. I guess where I'm at here and wanting to kind of continue this conversation is to talk about what are the opportunities that we haven't even thought about yet, because we're dealing with, this is the opportunity for the recovery to really start. 2021 is, I think, a big opportunity more than it is a continuation of of what was 2020. We've seen the vaccines coming. Obviously, that's positive for a lot of people. Um, We're seeing uh, offices and, and restaurants open back up so people feel some level of normalcy. But more importantly, I think it's an opportunity to reevaluate security and how we approach it so that it's not a one size fits all, it's layered. You know, there's obviously some low hanging fruit that we can really, you know, hit home for everybody listening. And then there's the more of like, what's the long term strategy? Because this is a uh, billions of dollars being spent at a, we'll just say high end 10% growth in cybersecurity because we're still squeamish about spending any money on security. Um, But we're also battling this sort of trillion dollar cost of impact of threat actors to these businesses. And we don't know when all of those things are going to play out. I think think there's a lot to unwrap. And let's sort of maybe go back to the historical piece first, because I think that's a really great example of we... Uh, the cloud was presented to us as an option originally to reduce costs, sure. um, to not have to run your own tin. Well, as it turns out, modeling your actual costs uh, was really, really difficult. Um, and some people would argue that now with your data in the cloud, you're actually paying the threat actors to steal it uh, through, <laughs> bandwidth and, and right. through bandwidth use and charges. <clears throat> but be that as it may, back in 2014, 2015, Um, Very few um, folks had given any thought to the idea of, you know, access control lists, security groups, proper logging, and and the big bugbear in the room, which is uh, data retention in the cloud, because it costs a lot of money uh, to to do proper. So, so all of these things came back and that's why I sort of feel like there's sort of like two peaks in a valley of we want to move to the cloud, but then we got there and we went, man, uh, this is expensive. This is unanticipated. Oh, by the way, we've lost all of that telemetry that we used to have when it was on premise. You know, now we have to go out and buy a set of tools appropriate for the cloud, a set of tools to, to monitor our on premise. 
that added a layer of complexity. We didn't invest in training the people to do that. So we now have basically built that mass, which is gets us to where we are today. Right? Sure, yes. So moving forward out of that, I see a number of really important things. Um, the first is in the MSP mid-market, you need to establish your standards and your standard builds and figure out a way to cheaply and effectively apply those templates, if you will, to your new customers that are coming on board and be prepared to either finance that on the per user per month cost or upfront as an as a onboarding project. The level of complexity found in the mid-market now and the hybrid systems and half of the exchange was migrated to Office 365 and the other is sitting there as a ticking dime bomb. Uh, you know, all of these things come back to haunt the poor MSP that's trying to make some money right. uh, on this customer. And customers are so naive these days is they basically say, well, we have X number of desktops and we have X number of servers. Can you give me a price on managing it? The, the um, MSP needs to push way back on and say, listen, we need to do an assessment if you're even ready for me to give you a managed services and you get on premise and then you find that you know their, their networking stack isn't managed. They complain about voice over IP and conference uh, calling impacts their ability to use their apps. You essentially have a network that is vintage 1995 and you're trying to run 2020 um, apps on it and it just isn't going to fly. Well, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, there's vendors like rapid fire tools, products like rapid fire tools and, and others, you know, tenable and, and Nessus and rapid seven. And, you know, while a lot of them are associated with being security tools are also great ways to, you know, what, what's there, right. Yeah. You've yeah. got 18 flavors of Adobe flash that discontinued in December. Awesome. Let's get that gone. So, but the reason why I, I wanted to pause for a moment is if I think about managed services, if we're truly managing, managing, right. Yeah. That's not what happens when you onboard new client. Right. No. But we jump to that right away. Like sign here, Mr. Customer, we <laughs> will we'll use, we'll use the word client because we feel better about it because, you know, consumerism is not where we want to be. So customers, but it, it's a, it's a terrible thing that we do when we go in and say, you have 30 employees. I do the math. Okay. So that's going to be uh, whatever it is, $3,000 a month. That's your managed services cost. We just threw the servers in. We didn't even ask you how many servers you had. We just asked how many employees you have. And then maybe we say for an additional onboarding fee of matched monthly fee, you know, we'll get you up to speed. And the reality is you get in there and the firewall hasn't had a subscription update in five years or the yeah. firewall can't be updated anymore. Uh, or there was a step stepping stone along the way that someone said, Cisco acquired Meraki, I don't wanna be in there anymore. Let's get something to that we can just get off the shelf for a temporary firewall solution to transition to something better later. They don't do due diligence and it ends up being like, it's not even a firewall. It's, it's a gateway or, or something worse. <laughs> it's a router. And, and suddenly you're, you're walking into an environment that you can't win. Like That's the right. managed services space is, and, and the ones that are doing really well, obviously they have the quality game happening. They, they have high margins if they're doing a really good job. But the problem is every time we onboard a client without doing risk assessment, project fees up front, the margin that you're recouping on that one client, even if you're spreading it out across all your clients, it is not worth the effort 
to take that client on if you can't get the fees paid for to do the actual legitimate onboarding? You will die with the amount of support tickets coming out from that customer and the level of craziness and the level of difficulty in determining exactly what component isn't working uh, becomes uh, an incredible exercise. And if your junior technicians um, are in that environment, they're going to have a meltdown. And that's where you got to kick your senior guy who should be working on those projects that are the high margin. And now you have to deploy them in a support role. You're right. It's an absolute recipe for disaster. I think we're getting to this stage now. And I think coming back to what you said about the successful MSPs, those successful MSPs are like layer one to layer seven MSPs. They go right. in and as soon as they hear the word, my cousin did the cabling, yep. they're like, right, all of that cabling it gets yeeted, right? And then you have the discussion, like, can we go with wireless? Maybe, you know, how many devices, blah, blah, blah. And then you scale it and you go, okay, here's the problem. You have X number of things and some of them can't go wireless. Right. So, you know, you now have to have that discussion and it all comes down. You're hundred percent right in understanding what the risk um, to your MSP is by onboarding that new client. If they're going to consume 40 hours of support a month, you're going to go broke servicing them. And I don't think this is limited to just the onboarding, the, the net new client, right? Because we we're, we know that we aren't perfect MSPs, even the ones that are doing layers one through seven. I, I would I would create the uh, added argument that if you aren't doing, and I know this this gets thrown around a lot, so I, I will take the, the the slap in the face for this one, the CIO role, right? The account management role, which is, I think, quickly becoming, whether you want it to be or not, sort of a CISO role of, of sorts is, is included in this because you're being asked for that level of input for expertise that you may or may not have. And I think the MSPs that have been doing that, they are poised to be successful with existing clients because they can say threat landscapes changed. This is the new shift we have to make versus out of sight, out of mind. I come in and say for net $15 per user per month on top of what you're currently spending, that's the new bill. And they go, yeah, go pound sand. Yeah, yeah you're right. And I think the MSPs that do get in front of that can head things off at the pass for when the um, customer comes to you and says things like, we wanna rip out our printing infrastructure and put new print infrastructure in. Um, pretty much universally, I think all MSPs hate printers. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly the ones that grew up with um, in the early 2000s. Um, the nightmare that that unveils, you have to really ask yourself, you know, is the organization really gonna benefit from it? Because they're gonna get a giant bill from us as we try to figure out how their bespoke stuff works with these new printers. It's not as easy, especially when you're inheriting um, SMB type of applications that still might be client server. Um, and when you, when you look at those type of challenges, um, you know, that will make a growing MSP cry um, more than anything else. And if you can get in front of the customer and say, listen, I think we should go with Xerox because we had Xerox, because now Xerox is on the hook for making it work. Um, yeah. That seems like a better idea. But as soon as you start, you know, pimping HP into that client, you're going to find you're redoing everything. 
and you're dealing with folks that had that had figured out how to use that machine properly and you know do multi-part forms and sure. colored colored trays and things like that and now you have to replicate that and that is where you lose a lot of the profitability well i think this comes back to the square peg round hole i think about what you're saying with regards let's just talk about the evolution of technology in the uh end user space the the uh, my workstation right so so printers by and large don't change very rapidly right like yeah. cost on ink per page might go down the capacity trays the print count those are all the things that we care about on on printing of course quality but but the reality is we'll change our laptops, desktops, servers out on a three to five year. And I'm, I'm generalizing because I'm including them all yep. in there because obviously it's different for different devices. But how often do printers get changed out? Never, never yeah. is what I would choose if I can keep buying toner and keep maintaining that printer. It's never going anywhere. And I just recently ran into this. It's funny. It's a, it's a personal scenario, not so much the, in the professional space. But uh, Apple, uh, by and large, with their HP relationship, you no longer have to go out to HP, get drivers for your printer, right? Like it's just included. So what they did is they said, hey, going from, I think it's like Mojave and forward, you're basically getting your printer drivers that were built after 2015, I think, are now bundled with, and anything older, they still have for the foreseeable future, you go grab the pack and it gets updated every once in a while so that your operating system still supports it. Well, HP or Apple, one of the two, I, it was in, it's, it's hard to say that the stories vary, but the um, SSL certificate, the digital signature got revoked by Apple. So all of these users are getting hit with, um, you know, being told like, unplug this printer from your device because it's going to ruin your hard drive. Whether or not that would really happen, no one's really certain of, but I can tell you that for my mom, it was a huge deal because she suddenly couldn't print. And so yeah. I get involved to help her out. And I'm like, man, this is really bizarre and doing some homework on it. And I'm like, and finally we got it taken care of. I think I probably logged about two, two and a half hours. Cause you had to go into terminal and clean it all out and then reinstall an older version while they fix this cert to, you know, to come back online. So my, my point was, can you imagine if I had those HP printers uh, installed in a, in a, in a group that had say 15, 30, 40, where they were like, maybe for every two to three employees, they had this like, you know, workstation printer. Um, and this happened cause they were Mac users. I, that's two hours per machine. Yeah. On a help desk ticket that would be yeah. included under the managed services model that I can't ever claw back. That's right. But I could have kept myself from ever being in that situation by saying, no, when the equipment hits a certain threshold of end of warranty, we call it end of life now. And we are going to continue to move forward because we all see it. You're still maintaining that Windows 7 machine. Microsoft shouldn't have to release security patches for a machine that they've said should be in the graveyard. They should not have to do that. I get it. Consumerism, the whole thing. We want to make money. But the reality is we've got to be careful when we tell the vendor that they need to patch something because I still like it. This isn't like a vintage car where I can go and get parts manufactured. And, and you're right, because it's like this total opposite effect in IoT where uh, IoT device comes out and everybody adopts it, DVRs or, or, or video. And then, you know, a year and a half later, the manufacturer simply says, yeah, it has a bunch of security um, vulnerabilities, but um, it's end of life cycle. And you're so like- get a new one. Yeah. But we got to spend the money. 
right? And and if you were the MSP that said you should put these cameras in because they're good cameras, right? And a year and a half later, they're like they're vulnerable and they're making your network part of a botnet. Um, you're like, oh shit, I guess I called that one wrong. Um, and again, you're right. Like, sure, can you get can you get the um, cost of the hardware from the customer? Yes. But what's really tough, like you said, is per user, all you can eat MSP billing, you can't get the time back, right? So circling back to the Great America Recovery as we start to run out of time here, what's the, I mean, we kind of went, you know, several different places, but I think the point of all of the things that we talked about is that we have to change our approach to how we address security and we have to change our approach to how we manage IT infrastructure so that we don't put ourselves in a position of being reactive and recovery. Because if we look at the domains of NIST, I say this all the time, we do a pretty good job of identification. We do a pretty good job of, of uh, defense, defending, and we do a pretty good job of protecting. I think by and large, we could say, go back 10 plus years, protection was one thing that MSPs did pretty well, and we didn't even do security. Um, but there are two categories that we extremely have we are, we are extremely outgunned, I think, on the, on the threat actor side because it's just, and we don't like to talk about it, right? So respond and recover, we don't do a lot. In fact, we had a window where we were in really good shape, right? We had the ransomwares would happen. We got kind of figured out what we needed to do. And so we would use the datos and beams and the different business continuity products. And we'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. We can restore from backup. And then even when the backups got corrupted, we, the vendors stepped up and said, hey, we can detect when those kind of things happen and still keep you protected. But now we're in a situation where the data can be taken, which doesn't help us. And we're back to, we've got to have a plan for incident response uh, plans. We got to have a, um, you know, vendor response plans. And we got to have a response for what happens to those around us to share with our clients like the solar winds. So as we close this out, we look back at the, you know, the greater America recovery, because I think we have this most beautiful opportunity. I, I think that, like you said, to change infrastructure, to actually get it right this time. What's the sort of like takeaway that you would give our audience to say, hey, this is what I think you should be thinking about and what you should be doing, uh, you know, as they get involved with MSP Ignite and other peer groups, as they start thinking through, how do I get my own house in order before I take this to my clients, you know, and I'll leave it at that. Go. Sure. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, MSPs were pretty good. Uh, and same with mid-market firms of knowing uh, where their data is. Now we need to next level it and know where the data is going. Okay. So we need to be able to understand what normal um, operations look like from a network perspective. And when they become not normal, we need to figure out why, and we need to move fast on that. Um, we need logging to figure out what the heck happened. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times when something is going on inside a network, um, we, you know, logging has been poor or non-existent or turned off, and though, and we have no way of really doing a meaningful investigation, or you're even calling in forensics analysts to do an investigation if the fundamental you know, um, architecture isn't there in the first place. And lastly, 
our two greatest problems that we have right now in the industry are identity management. So multi-factor authentication is the way forward. If you're putting apps out on the internet, if you're putting um, services out on the internet and you don't have multi-factor authentication offered by the vendor or, um, or as an option instead of something that's mandatory, then you're really doing your customers a disservice in 2021. In fact, it's gotten so bad in the EU and the UK in terms of financial services that they passed something called the SCA or Secure Customer Authentication, which is a mandatory multi-factor authentication solution for any financial transaction online. That's gonna have a huge impact on reducing fraud. It's not gonna eliminate it, but it's certainly gonna hopefully um, allow for these uh, shopping cart apps these, you know, the, the WooCommerce's of the world to not um, put stuff that's risky out there um, and allow for a more secure transaction uh, for customers. Ultimately, MSPs have to eat their own dog food. If you're asking your customers to do multi-factor authentication, you have to, you do, have it. to do it. And that may be a bit of a learning curve, but I'm telling you the payback will be immense. You know, you you make you made me think about the, an analogy to this, and that is uh, thinking about car accidents. Right? There's car accidents happen all the time for varying reasons, but things that have evolved over the years. We've got better airbags, we've yeah. got better seatbelt functionality, where they're they're not just they don't just lock in place, and no one wants to wear them. They kind of have some flex to them, right? Um, we've got brakes on our vehicles, we, we no longer just coast. We've got, we've put in signs and infrastructure to help us navigate to say, hey, you should be slowing down because you're gonna go around a corner. None of these things keep the accidents from just happening, right? But they are all things that over the years have continued to improve the resiliency of someone surviving that accident. And I believe that that is the, from where I'm sitting, if we approach this from the standpoint of, the car is going to evolve and it needs to evolve faster. And the things that I do to that car are really up to me, not my mechanic anymore. Then what would you do differently? And it's like, well, I'd probably take better care of my car, right? I'd be more proactive at changing my own oil. Not because I want to change oil, but I know that if I don't, I'm buying another car and I can't afford to buy another car. None of our clients can afford to just start over with net new infrastructure. And I don't know how many times I've seen that happen with ransomware. So the reality is to what you just said, we have to change. And you're saying, if I understand you correct, start with identity management because that's an easy win. And most of the vendors we work with have already started the process. If they're not requiring it, they're at least making it optional. 100% agree. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Well, with that, I'd like to thank you for being on the show this week and for everybody else, try to enjoy the rest of your week.